You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I'm so happy this show is ending. Because now, I can finally spend time with my amazing dad. It's your life. You say you need a change. Don't all the dreams we've seen come true mean anything? And you say it's different now. You keep staring at the door. How can you walk away? Don't I matter anymore? If being free is what you leave behind, and if it's too late for love to change. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special, I guess the very final episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, which has been, over the past couple of years, sponsored by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Well, I don't know sponsored, but I've been on the network. My name is Sean Engel, and my job on the show, of course, is to cover the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, which surprisingly enough, is the date of the comic that we're going to be covering today. Yes, it's Green Lantern number 181, the final story of the 1990s Green Lantern run, where Kyle Rayner finishes out the book. It's kind of a somber moment for me, because I never expected to actually get here, and I never expected the uh, book to actually end on such a high note. Spoilers. I hope you'll find it to be a high note as well, and I hope you'll enjoy this. Uh, I'm going to be giving a lot of thanks and praise uh, along the uh, show, and I really appreciate everyone tuning in and listening over the past three years, and I hope I've done the show well, and I hope you enjoy this final show. Um, We've got some great promos to play, we've got some recommendations, we've got some emails, and we've even got a little something very special at the end, so we'll go ahead and get all of that after I take these podcast promo breaks. Enjoy some more Conway Twitty. This one's for you, Dave and Steve. Then it's goodbye time. Yeah, 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 play it. Come on, hey, play it loud. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. And Freak! Two! On the circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. Ooh! 
come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. You're goddamn lucky he didn't kill all of And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's she likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Shoot me shoot. I say shut up! It's a man home! Two true freaks.com. Okay, doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see ya. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please, call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at 2TrueFreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at 2TrueFreaks.com. Take the dare. I have no self-control. The Fantastic Arse is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory. 
when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Hi, this is Patrick, and this is my dad. And we record a podcast called Make Dad Read Comics. And to best understand what the podcast is about, explain what we do on the podcast, Dad. Well, my son used to read, well, he still reads comics. He's 30 years old, he reads comics. And he used to read comics back to high school. And I made fun of them. And then one day I was thinking, as he was talking to me, that, you know, when you make fun of something, really, you're showing your ignorance. So perhaps I should actually look at these comics. So he started having me read these comics. And boy, oh boy, they are something different. Are they designed for low life and dumb people? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've learned they're really not designed for low life and dumb people. But they are frivolous to a large degree. Silliness runs through them. So, if you want to be frivolous and silly but not dumb and low life, please listen to Make Dad Read Comics. You can find us on iTunes. It is Make Dad Read Comics, and he gets a treat for reading comics. I do. <laughs> Every week. Every week. Something good for the pastry shop. Something good for the pastry shop. Bye. And we're back. And I hope you guys take the opportunity to check out all of those shows that I just promoted. I wish I could have added more promos in. I've got so many promos for podcasts that I love to listen to, but I wanted to kind of focus on the ones that have really caught me recently. Of course, the two true freaks, I wouldn't be here without them, so I had to promote them. Dave's Daredevil podcast, it's come on to two true freaks. He put out a new promo that just came out at the time of me recording this, so I had to put that on. Dave's a great guy, and you you know, now that he's on the Two True Freaks Network, I think he is a superior uh, replacement for what what I've been doing here on the show. So now that I'm leaving and Dave's coming on, I think it's it's a great transition. You all should go listen to Dave's show. The Fantasticast has two of my favorite podcasters on there, Stephen Lacey and Andrew Leyland, talking about the Fantastic Four from the very beginning. Just great dynamic between the two of them. They're really funny, and their accents are really interesting as well. Um, the short box showcase, ironically, it's another pair, but it's a father and daughter pair of Alan and Emily Middleton, where they talk about whatever they feel like talking about. It's a really great show. They didn't steal in any way from Hey Kids Comics. They're obligated to say that because otherwise the Demonsecore lawyers would come after them. And finally, Make Dad Read Comics, which is one I just recently discovered uh, about a few months ago. Uh, well, 
longer than that, obviously, but Patrick Corrin and his dad. Patrick's a longtime comic book reader, and his dad is not. And he gets his dad to read just ridiculous comics. Sometimes they're mainstream type stuff like Batman or Spider-Man or Superman. Other times it's historical comics. Other times it's manga. And listening to his dad, who's a very intelligent, very worldly wise person, come to actually start to appreciate these comics has been just a treat to listen to. All these shows you should definitely go check out. Uh, I highly recommend them. And I hope you go, you know, if, after you're done listening to the show, you know, you go check out some of those shows because they, they've got the Just One of the Guys seal of approval. But we've also got to do another thing. I've got to clean out the Just One of the Guys email bag. So take it away, Mr. Tom Servo, for the last time. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> And an email segment of Just One of the Guys wouldn't be complete without an email from my good friend to the Great White North, Mr. Scott Davis. Scott writes saying this time, saying, Rob has ruined our Jenny, which I can't disagree with at all. Scott says, hi, Sean. Unfortunately, I've read a few more issues of the Rabe run, Rob run, whatever, and I have some comments and complaints below. Greenlander number 173, Wanted Part 3. The cover is great, and the artwork by James Bosch is excellent. I agree. The taxidermy of the GLs are pretty creepy, though. The This whole Marin story sucks. What's the point of trying to see her get a job? I agree. It definitely looks like Jenny is trying to get the Wall Street dude in the sack. Rape obviously has no handle on Jenny's character at all. And I think that's the conclusion that everyone that I've talked to about this run has has come to as well, Scott. Exactly. This is Kyle's book, he says, so obviously we're all Kyle fans, so why is Rob purposely making us hate Jenny? Again, what is the point of all this? My best guess is that he didn't want the Kyle-Jenny relationships, he didn't want the Kyle-Jenny relationship, so he wants to break them up. Now I can't wait for Kyle to get back to Earth and confront Jenny about this horse she's pulling. It was also kind of weird for that Wall Street dude rummaging through Kyle's cabinets like that. That guy has balls doing that to a superhero. Uh, obviously, Hottie McEmerald Fever, whatever his name, Lucas had no concern about rummaging around in Kyle's apartment. He, I'm certain he didn't even know that, uh, even though he knew Jenny was a superhero, he had to because look, she's Jenny. She's green. She has powers. She's He's got to wonder if there's some relationship with Green Lantern going on. Unless he's an idiot, which he very well could be. Scott continues on with Green Lantern number 174, Wanted Part 4. This issue was okay, but I'm really tired of the, this Black Circle story. I can't believe Kyle basically gave away his identity by calling out Tyna to the slave girl when he turns his back. When, then he burns his Black Circle symbol right off in front of Shiro Nova. I agree this is very poor storytelling. It gets worse because this Jenny scene is absolutely disgusting how Rave has turned her into a tramp right before our eyes. I was trying to figure out if Jenny had slept with this guy, and my conclusion is that she has. In the scene where she's taking her own construct to herself outside his apartment, she asks herself to Luke. Uh, she asks herself why Lucas didn't have sex with her on the first date. She's basically complaining that it took took Luke to the second date to have sex with her. This was had to be the worst change in character I have ever read in comics. You and me both, God. 
Thankfully, Liana is at the end of the book to give us another good laugh with her new metal downer butt crack outfit that she's wearing. Great stuff. Well, great if compared to the Jenny story, I guess. So, yeah. He said, I was bugging you a few emails ago about the Jenny scenes, but now I can't wait to get this Ben Ray run over with. Issue 175 can't come soon enough. Scott. Thankfully, it's over, and thankfully, we've gotten back to some good writing here. So, Scott, thank you for writing in. You have been the you've been one of the constants in the show, uh, com, you know, writing in so often and commenting on the issues. I really appreciate every time you write in, and I'm glad to have you as a part of this show, Scott. After that, we've got an email from Laurel Phillips, who writes in with the title "Final Story Arc." She writes in saying, Hi, Sean. Thanks for getting back to me about my last email. I figure I must have been finished reading the Ron Mars issues by now, so it's safe to write about them. Well, I have now, so hit me with your best email. She says, I remember when issue 176 came out, I was completely shocked by the shower scene. I was so upset with how badly Jenny treated Kyle, and also the writer that I like could ruin the classic scene from Kyle's first meeting with Jenny. You know, I didn't even put that into, you know, I didn't make a correlation between that. But yeah, that was essentially how Kyle encountered Jenny the first time. He saw her in the shower, and this time he sees Hottie McEmerald Fever in the shower. Horrible. The next issue, she says, the next issue attempted to put the story right with Kyle and Jen, being having a civilized discussion, but the damage was done, and I've never been able to look at Jenny the same way again. I must say that I love Luke Ross's art. His playful constructs, such as issue 178's page 6 swarm of killer bees, complete with leather bomber caps and goggles, and page 16, a collection of small projectiles, including a carnation, a pencil, and even a rubber chicken, were nicely creative. I enjoy an artist who is good at facial expressions, body language, and, excuse the expression, does good hair. It, this means that not only a hairdo that suits the character's personality, but one that shows the individual strands placed just so. And I have to agree with you, Laurel. Uh, one of the things that I've liked about Luke Ross is not only his, you know, his detail with uh, character design, especially in the face. You know, he gives uh, he gives the characters good facial expressions that you can actually see some of the emotions that they're trying to put out. But I think he also does a great job in rendering sort of the surroundings. A lot of the background scenes I've seen, now granted they look maybe a little photorealized, but they're really good as well. I think he's actually doing a, a, a pretty decent job of drawing that as well. Shikinu's saying, I also like the plethora of details in the backgrounds. Well, I should have read ahead. Ross's art during Kyle and Jen's conversation in issue 177 had a variety of panel designs and views of the characters, from close-ups to overhead views to reflections of the water, so the reader feels that there's no there's movement to the scene. Looking at Kyle and Jen's final hug, my heart breaks for Kyle all over again. As far as the rest of the story, it was great to see Kyle check in on his mother and visit Donna and Alex's graves. It gave a nice closure to Kyle's life as I was as it was at a time and left us prepared for a new chapter to begin. I was unhappy with Mars using another woman in a home appliance scene in issue 180, even if it turns out that it's faked. But I also couldn't believe that Kyle... Spoilers. I also couldn't believe that Kyle would give his ring to Major Force after the trauma he's caused, but I suppose Kyle was near uh, was near a nearing a, was nearly nearing a complete mental breakdown. At least he realizes his mistake quickly and fights for the ring. I was impressed with Mars' creative solution that Major Force can't be killed problem, and we'll get into that in the issue. It raised my confidence in Kyle once more. So overall, the story was a satisfying end to the series. 
I was curious if you'd continue to answer your email as I work through back episodes of your podcast. I've been rereading the series and plan on listening to the episodes corresponding with back issues. Yes, Laurel, I'm going to keep the email site open. Obviously, it's a Google site, so I don't think anything could really do to close it down. And if you mail in, I'm going to be checking it regularly, so I will get back to you uh, if you have any questions or any comments or just want to chat about this. That'd be great. But she finishes off saying, thank you for a thoughtful and amusing commentary, and I hope you let us know what other podcasts you might be doing in the future. All the best, Laurel Phillips. Well, thank you again, Laurel. It's great that you caught the uh, show sort of at the end, but I'm glad you're enjoying it, and I hope you enjoyed the stuff that came out pre- prior to this. Just just realize that I got better over time. I mean, better is kind of an abstract idea, but better than from where I was. Let's go to the next email. This next one comes from my podcast collaborator, Luke Giaconini. He's the host of Earth Destruction Directive and the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror over at Two True Freaks. He's also the purveyor of the Hawkman blog, being Carter Hall. And you may have heard him a couple of times over on Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast, where he covered Halo and Hawkman recently. So Luke's a great guy, and he wrote in this time with the title, Green Lantern number 175, Good Riddance to Bad Rubbish. Luke says, Sean, wow. Just wow. I know Thomas T.J. had told us all to be aware of the Ben Rabe run, but man, this hit some depths before the end. I don't know what else to say about it except to every run of comics, some bizarre runs must appear. Iron Man Volume 1 had the whole Teen Tony thing at the end. Oh, I've heard about that, for instance. And I agree with you, though, you can't let a poor run of a book ruin your enjoyment of the whole thing. With any ongoing publication, you have to take the good with the bad, and if you get more good than bad, just grin and move on when you come across the bad stuff. And that's a very good point, Luke. I'm going to say for uh, when I wrap up the story, I'm probably going to have more positives to say about this run, but yeah, the Ben Rabe one was was a real down point in the series. Real down point. Luke continues, I can tell that you really were working hard to get through these last few issues, but I also applaud you for sticking with it and getting giving the issues a fair shake, for good or ill. A lot of times on the internet over the past couple of years, I hear folks deriding index shows because it's not creative or too restrictive. Like the song says, man, funk dad. Every week I've known that just one of the guys was going to be there for me, and not just there, but continuing on from the last week and setting me up for the next one. So kudos for you to do what you've done on Just One of the Guys, even as we enter the end game here. He says, I know you're not a wrestling fan, but I did want to mention WrestleMania 20. WrestleMania 20 exists now in a very strange sort of no man's land. The memorable and enduring segments of the card now range from bittersweet to outright embargoed. On the bittersweet side is Eddie Guerrero. I think I'm getting that name right, defending his WWE championship against Kurt Angle in one of the main events. The Latino Heat, as he was nicknamed at the time, would die of acute horror failure in November 2005. Holy cow. At the stupidly young age of 38 years old. Wow. The much more difficult and controversial aspect is the second main event, a triple threat match between Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and Chris Benoit wherein Benoit won the World Heavyweight Championship. Of course, we all went, know what went down with Benoit a few years later. The WWE has practically has essentially placed an embargo on Chris Benoit, scrubbing him from the online title histories and match reports, and keeping any image of him that they can off the air. 
Combine this with some admittedly minor wrestling mark comments, a terrible match between Bill Goldberg and Brock Lesnar, Molly Holly having her head forcibly shaved during the entrances for the Gero Angle match due to poor time management, etc., and the show makes the viewer just feel weird. Of course, this the first bout on the card was John Cena making his Mania debut and winning his first solo title in the WWE, so there you go, and I'm certain Andy Capellish probably probably is all excited about John Cena winning that because he you know on Facebook he seems to be a Cena mark. But yeah, I I looked up uh, what happened with Chris Benoit and uh yeah, that's that is uh tragic. Look it up if you want to find out yourself, folks. But Luke finishes up saying, "Anyway, adios to Ben Rabe, don't let the door hit you, etc." and bring on the return of Ron Mars. We might be near the end of the road, but let's go out on a high note and to be honest, Luke, I think we definitely do. This is this is a good thing for the book. But we'll get to that in a few. Thank you, Luke, again for writing in. It's always been great to have you not only on the show, but have you emailing in. You're insightful, you're intelligent, you're witty. I'm so happy to have you as a listener to the show. Then our next email we've got is from my good friend, Michael Bradley. He's the co-host of the Parallel Lines podcast, in which he and I talk about the Parallel not the Parallel Lines, the Tangent Comics that came out from DC in the 1990s, featuring brand new characters uh, with names that we're very familiar. Uh, he writes in with the... <laughs> sorry, I should structure this better. He writes in with the title of the email, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, and... Thankfully, I hopefully I won't uh, be written off at the last minute by Ian Coffer because I heard that was awful. Michael writes in, yo, I just wanted to write you a happy trails email as you wind down the show. It was written with the intention of being read on your last feedback segment, but don't be beholden to that. Just read when convenient. Well, you're lucky enough that I am reading it in my last email segment, so here we go. Sean, well, you made it. The end of the road. The final episode of Just One of the Guys. You just, you've successfully made it through the highs, including Emerald Dawn, Cal taking over the manor, and a guy in his Nort. All good highs. And the lows, including Flicker, that ugly-ass cover to Green Lantern number 37, and Ben Ray riding the whore Jenny Lynn Hayden like a whore because she's a whore. Aptly put, sir. Of the entire era of Green Lantern. While I haven't heard the final few episodes as of this writing, namely because they haven't been released yet... Again, sorry about that. The show coming to an end is bittersweet. I'm happy that you accomplished your goal to cover what you set out to cover, plus some bonus stuff, but I am sad that there won't be any more episodes because the show has been a true joy to listen to uh, from the very first, since the very first episode. I don't know since the very first episode. I think, you know, marginally after, oh, maybe issue 30 or 40 or so, I think it got good, but there you go. That's just me. I don't remember how I found the show, but I've been a listener since the beginning. And despite co-hosting my own Green Lantern podcast at the time, your show quickly became my favorite GL-related podcast to listen to. I genuinely look forward to the new episode each week. And you should be proud of yourself for not only completing what you set out to do, but moreover, doing so without any significant, if indeed at any at all, delays. Few podcasters, myself included, have done either, let alone both of these things. So congratulations, Sean, on a job well done, and thank you very much for hours and hours and hours of free entertainment over the past three and a half years. Fridays in the podcasting world as a whole will be less without new episodes of Just One of the Guys. Wow. 
Until Ben Rabe writes a guard Gardner ongoing. Oh, when hell freezes over, sir. Michael. Michael, uh, thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate that. I, as Luke said in the prior email, indexing shows are kind of seen as a simplistic, you just pick up the next comic and review it. But it has been fun. And the fact that I've gotten the opportunity to interact with people like you, Michael, and actually do a show that really, really has meant a lot to me in parallel lines with you has been one of the blessings of starting up the show. So thank you for writing in. Thank you for the kind words, Michael. I really, really appreciate it. And to wrap things up in the email bag, we have one final email from, I'm wanting to say it's from Bradley Knoll. He writes himself as the email address is Bradley Ben, and uh, I'm pretty certain it's Bradley Knoll. But his in uh, the title of his email is number 38, which I'm hoping isn't, you know, that he's just read issue 37 because that's awful. But he says, Sean, I'm politically your mirror left leaning, but extremely despising. I'm not at all offended by whatever started that problem as I missed it. And I've got to assume that Bradley is talking about me getting the iTunes review from this person who commented that when I was talking about the initial run, that I wasn't pleased with how they were portraying Jon Stewart's character. I think I commented that they were writing him sort of as the angry black man and I didn't feel that was an apt way to place him. And I think one of the people who listened to the show and wrote in an iTunes review um, felt negatively about my comment. And uh, I don't know whether he took it the wrong way or whether I just phrased him the wrong way, but it got a negative iTunes review and I read it on air and commented on that. So, and also let me say this, Bradley, thank you for writing in the show. And I appreciate people who don't have the same political opinion as I, I try and keep my politics outside of the show. And I, well, this show just isn't a format for political screeds or political rants. And there are a lot of people, not only that I deal with on Facebook and whatever, who have vastly different political leanings than I do, but people that I work with on the show, Chris Honeywell and Thomas DJ are vastly, vastly different in their opinions of politics and social beliefs and everything that I am, but we are able to, to communicate in polite and decent conversation. And it's, and I'm not going to try and get off on a political screen here, especially because the show's not supposed to be about it, but so often it's easy to just poke fun at the other side and not try and, at least think about what they're saying and comment politely. It's so easy nowadays just to take jabs at each other. And I don't feel like that does anything to, to further anything in society, to further anything in, in group interaction, to further anything between people. It works, I guess, in the political spectrum to gain notoriety you know, the more you gripe about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or whoever raises your Q factor, for lack of a better term. But I don't like having friends that are politically in my opposite be antagonistic to me or me being antagonistic to them. That 
I just can't abide by that. But 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 back to the email. He says, now that I, now I'm loving this podcast as I work my way through it, he says. I'm a Kyle fan and almost skipped to his episodes, but I'm glad I didn't. You've given me a greater appreciation of Guy. When there's books came, when these books came out, I was ready to drop Green Lantern as it was not very good. As a huge Blue Beetle fan from the Justice League, I ignored Guy's book at the time. My thoughts at the time were he was almost a villain in the Justice League, and he's got a villain ring. Just another anti-hero wannabe. Now I see what I missed over all these years. Thanks to your show. My opinion has changed. I'm not saying I like Guy now. I still think he's a bit of a jerk. However, I have come to appreciate Guy as a humorous character. He's far more accurate version of what someone with strong willpower would be like, as opposed to the flyboy who can't keep it his pants and spent the beginning of his series as a bum. Nothing against the homeless, but willpower makes you want to do something, not nothing. That is a very insightful comment there, Bradley. Um, how is supposed to be the most willful person, one of the greatest landers of all, and he just decides to walk the earth and be a farmer with, uh, well, I can't remember the hippie's name at the beginning of the book, but yeah. But I do appreciate that you're at least reevaluating Guy. I want to say that one of the things that I wanted to do when I started out the show was kind of make people take a new look at Guy Gardner, especially in his run in the Bo Smith pen stories, because Guy was always taken as a joke. If you ask people who know comics, the one thing they know probably the most about Guy Gardner is he got punched out by Batman in Justice League International and was basically the butt of all the jokes in that. If you read the character in other mediums, he's actually an interesting and fun character and I never expect anyone to suddenly who didn't like Guy to suddenly turn around and like him, but at least have an appreciation for him. As many people have said, every character has someone who loves them. You know, even even people like Slipknot, I'm certain, has their fans out there. And I'm a fan of Guy Gardner, and if I could, if I had the opportunity to at least get you to sort of reevaluate and maybe even enjoy some of the stories of Guy Gardner. I feel that I've done my job, and I'm glad that you're at least enjoying it. But Bradley finishes off his email saying, I can't wait to get to the Kyle stuff. Having a blast, Bradley, man. Well, Bradley, please keep writing in. I make sure, like I said to Laurel, I will respond to emails in, in due time, even though I won't be reading them on the air. But thank you so much for writing in. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. Over the entirety of the show, like I've said many times before, getting emails from listeners is one of the things that you know keeps me going. If I were just sitting here talking to the mic and doing this and not getting any kind of feedback, it'd, it'd be kind of a lonely place. And having you wonderful, wonderful people you know, take time out of your day to write these emails to me, just it's so rewarding. And I can't thank you enough. <sighs> Okay, I've been avoiding this for, for a long time. It's time to get into it. This is Green Lantern number 181. Green Lantern number 181 was cover dated November 2004 and released on September 29th of 2004 with a cover price of 225 US and 350 in Canada. The title was Homecoming Question Mark Part 6. The story was by Ron Mars. The pencils were by Luke Ross. The inks were by Rodney Ramos. 
The colors were by Moose Bowman. Letters were by Jared Fletcher. The associate editor was Steve Wacker. The editor was Peter Tomasi, and the cover art was by Brandon Peterson. Sometimes, sometimes you want something so much, and no matter what you do, it slips through your fingers. And then sometimes you already have something, and you end up realizing that you don't want it anymore. So you're willing to let it go. Yelling for his foe, Major Force, to get up unless he wants to die on his knees, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner builds up a burst of energy and prepares to strike the madman down. You're not gonna kill me, Force retorts, because you can't. A surprised Kyle looks on as Force relates the numerous times he's been killed and has come back. Guy Gardner killed him. Twice. Even a few months ago in Tokyo, he was killed, but he's come back again and again because he can't die. Nonplussed, Kyle is willing to put that theory to the test as the combatants unleash enough power to turn a section of the nearby shoreline to glass. This proves to be a setback for Kyle as Force throws him onto the crystalline surface, shattering the silicon into shards. Approaching the lacerated lantern, Force asks why Kyle is doing this. All of this is just dumb luck and Kyle has seen nothing come out of this but pain and loss. But if Kyle gives the ring to him, he will make sure it goes into the hands of someone who can do good with it, and Kyle can have his life back. You murdered Alex, you murdered my mother, and you seriously expect me to, Kyle says, but is quickly interrupted by Force, who declares that the body in the oven was just a mannequin head, and not a very good one to boot. But this would have been way too easy for him to do this to her, and all the threats against the ones he loved would just go away if he would give up the ring. Swayed by the argument, Cal takes off the ring and prepares to end his career as Green Lantern. Good choice, Force replies. Now we'll figure a way out to put it in the hands of somebody who's up to the job. What did you say? Somebody who's up to the job? Didn't I prove that over the last few years? Kyle demands Force give the ring back so that they can finish this, but the Major just turns his back and walks away, knowing that he's won. But the large shard of glass thrust into his eye by Kyle causes him to drop the ring and declare that the moratorium on killing Green Lantern is over. As Force powers up for an atomic blast, Kyle retrieves the ring, powers up, and body checks the purple predator, carrying him off into deep space. As Kyle recounts his failings in life, he realizes that he was looking for someone to blame. Jenny, Fatality, Major Force, even the Ring. But now he realizes what a gift it's been, and what a chance he's been given. Reaching the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, Kyle deposits Force, rather violently, on one of the floating former planets. You think this is going to help you? You think you can defeat me out here, Force yells? In vacuum of space C- comics yeah I do Kyle replies as he uses a variety of constructs to manhandle the mauve marauder finally burning the lantern symbol into his chest as a reminder of who beat him Force says he's impressed but even if Kyle maroons him out here someone will eventually find him however Cal has a solution for that as well Ringing up a sword, Kyle decapitates Major Force, cauterizing the wounds as he goes, and places the villain's disembodied head in a construct bubble. Saying that space is really, really big, 
Cal rings up Andre Agassi and serves Force's severed head off into the cosmos. Crisis averted, Cal ponders this path. Does he go home and risk putting the ones he loves in danger? Or does he head back out into space, which really didn't work the last time for him? Remembering the last time he was out in space was under the pen of a horrible, awful writer, Cal chooses the possibility of the unknown and streaks off into space, ready to find whatever is out there waiting for him. The End. Luke Giaconetti's sentiments, wow. Just wow. First of all, I never really thought that I'd get to the end of this show. Well, I did think that I'd eventually get here, but it always seemed like a simple date on a piece of paper and not an actual ending. And being that I hadn't read the final part of the story, I had a lot of trepidation about what the outcome of the book would be. However, I'm happy to say that I'm incredibly pleased at how the book ended. After returning home from the Black Circle quest and the, let's face it, awful Ben Rabe run, Kyle wraps up his book in the best way possible, and setting up his return in the upcoming Jeff Johns pen Green Lantern Rebirth. Or, it could just be him riding off into the proverbial sunset as well. I don't know if Ron Mars knew what Kyle's role in this story was going to be, but he writes the ending to be as ambiguous as need be to fulfill either role. The art again by Luke Ross is great as well, and there really are some clever panel progressions that show that he has a great grasp on storytelling. Now, I don't think this is the greatest ending to a comic story that has ever been written, but it definitely wraps up the Kyle Rayner run by showcasing all of the aspects of the character, from his determination to his naivete, and once again cements him for me, as one of the greatest creations to come out of the 1990s. This book emphasizes the concept that I put forward at the end of every show, or I guess put forth at the end of every show, that comics can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. Even though the story originated in the 1990s, the concepts and heroics still feel like some of the best, throughout all of the eras of superhero genre, good versus evil, overcoming self-doubt, a selfish hero. I could go on and on. But instead, let's go take a look at some of the specifics in the book. Of course, starting with the cover, Brandon Peterson once again delivering an okay cover. Cow's face once again looks a bit off from the model of his face, and What's with the giant purple glow coming from the planet back there? Is 
did Major Force just explode? Is that him powering up behind Kyle? And if so, what is he planning on doing on Kyle's unsuspecting backside? Is is he powering up his spank ray? I think that was Guy Gardner's thing, but maybe that's just me. Page one, Ross and Mars do a great bit of storytelling, with Mars obviously providing the storytelling that I read at the opening of the synopsis, and Ross doing four horizontal panels depicting the power ring floating out of Kyle's grasp, looking like it's flying off into space. This will be captured later on in the book, and you'll see where it's actually coming from, but the two work together really well to sort of blend the idea that Kyle is moving on, and perhaps this loss of Kyle's ring is actually intentional at this point in time. And you're, you're seeing them weave in a very compelling idea of the story coming to end at the very beginning of the story. So clever writing here. Pages two and three is Kyle and Mater Force, you know, face off looking side to by side in the forest with everything illuminated by the glow from Kyle's ring. Once again, Major Force just looks far too beefy to be actually real. I mean, even Schwarzenegger in his prime didn't look this ridiculous. Uh, I understand he's supposed to be an imposing figure, but this is just too much even for me. But comics, why not? Page four, again, Ross, and I'm going to give even credit to Colorist Moose Bowman, sell the tension with the horizontal panels and force powering up his sort of pinky, pinky purple energy here. We get just close-ups uh, on sort of looking like the camera is zooming in on Force's face as the sort of purplish energy emanating from him just builds and builds. It's a great design in the book, and it gives, again, a very cinematic feel uh, Ross has a great handle on how to craft the panels in a way that is different from sequential storytelling. It gives it a it gives it a flow. It gives a feeling of movement. It gives a feeling that you're viewing something like I said before, very cinematic. I really enjoy it. Page five, panel three. I, I like you know after Kyle is finally decided he's going to take down Major Force, he rings up himself, and you see the two combatants sort of flying at each other, sort of challenge the super friends style. But Kyle is surrounded by this giant ram head as he's battering against major force. It's like I said, I cannot complain about Luke, Luke Ross's artwork throughout all of this book. Then moving on to page six, this is just brilliant. And it's a bit of a Chekhov's gun here. The force of the clash between these two has generated enough heat to turn the beach into glass we get four panels here again horizontal panels where we see the tide coming on in the beach and a little crab walking along the beach in the next panel we've got this huge uh, onomatopoeia saying boom and this blinding blast of bright white light and this immense explosion coming out there then the next panel is just the aftermath of that the blinding white light covering up all of this horizontal panel, and the last panel is the tides slowly move back a little bit, and the entirety of that section of the sand turn into glass. Now, that's pretty impressive there. Unfortunately, it did squish the little crab that was crawling across the sand, so sorry, Crabby. You will be missed. In memoriam. Moving on to page 8, again... 
Kyle crashing into the fused glass of the beach is setting up what we'll have in later in the book. And then on the subject of creating glass, just a little scientific knowledge or a little information about how grass, glass is created. Glass is actually made from liquid sand. However, at the temperature at which it becomes liquid, is it's about 1,700 degrees Celsius, which is about 3,090 degrees Fahrenheit. That's ridiculously hot. Essentially, the nuclear test in New Mexico produced the same effect that we see here. So, sorry, Dr. Jones, the whole hiding in a fridge thing is still pretty infeasible. And even though modern glass can be made from heating sand to this level, it's usually mixed with the amount of sodium carbonate to lower the melting point and calcium carbonate to keep it from dissolving in water. So, 180 plus shows into the run, and I can finally drop some W. Blaine Dowler knowledge on you folks. You're welcome. Page 9, panel 1. It may be a bit on the nose, but I like the panel here. It's a panel where we see Kyle's reflection in the shards of glass as Forrest declares that he's broken. Again, it's not a very subtle message, but it's really well done as Ross is able to depict the the shards of glass showing Kyle's face, and they all look a bit different. There's all different angles. It's not just photostatted. And even looking more at it, you know, Ross is doing a lot of detail on Kyle's on Kyle's uniform, sort of lines. You know, obviously we think of Kyle's uniform or any superhero's uniform as form-fitting sort of a spandex, and he gets the ridges of its fingers here and the the ring and everything, and the look of his hair, and it's all really good. I know Laurel commented on you know the styling of his hair. It's all really good here, and it's it's just a great panel. It especially contrasted as we see Kyle looking down on the shards of glass and seeing its reflection in it, and up at the top of the panel you see Force as sort of the mirror opposite of him, upside down looking down in the glass. It's really well done composition shot here. Page 10, Force reveals they didn't kill Kyle's mother, and Kyle, after all he's been through over the past five issues, has a moment of weakness and hands over the ring. Now, you're probably thinking to himself, why do this? Why would he do this? He's Green Lantern. He knows that Force is just going to betray him and possibly kill him. But Kyle is at his weakest point here. He's thought that his mother had been killed. He's just dealt with his girlfriend being broken up, breaking up with him. He's had to deal with Fatality fighting him. He's having to deal with Major Force fighting him. Like I said, he just thought that his mother had died. He is not in his right mind. And Force gives him an out. All this time he's been wanting to get back his life, to become normal again. And Force offers him this this chance for normalcy, but it's a chance for normalcy that would completely diminish or belittle everything that he's gained over these past few years. It would completely negate all he's done for Green Lantern. And it's showing that Kyle at this moment is at his weakest and isn't thinking right. But luckily for Kyle, we... (laughs) We get the fact that Force is an arrogant a-hole and can't leave well enough alone. 
after Kyle gives him the ring, he has to say that we'll put it in the hands of someone who's up to the task. And that snaps Kyle back into realizing that he is the one who is up to the task. He is the Green Lantern. He's the one who's done the job and done it well over these past few years and force and he made a horrible mistake here. Luckily, he came to really quick, and luckily, there's this sort of Chekhov's gun that's going to help him rectify the situation. And that rectification comes on page 12, panel 6, where Kyle grabbed one of the larger shards of glass and jammed it in the eye of Major Forrest, which, one, you, I can't stand things being put in people's eyes, and two... Kyle is holding it with his hand, his bare hand, so his hand is uh, is probably getting cut by the glass, which is even more painful. And also, again, credit to Moose Bowman again. Most of the panels on this page are colored in the sort of dark bluish purple to give it the sort of you know blue for night type feel. But they color the background of this one in a bright orange to to amp up the sort of feeling of violence here it's the coloring in the book is really done well as well so awesome job with this page 13 we get the five seconds later version of what we saw at the beginning of the book and i might as well just read the uh captions for this because it goes along with what we read at the beginning of the story yeah sometimes you're willing to let it go but not this time one moment of weakness and self-pity and i nearly gave away the last thing i have to hold on to it would be easy to just walk away from the responsibility. And there we go again, that word responsibility. It would have been easier to have a normal life again. But I guess if I truly wanted easy, I would have stopped doing this a long time ago. And I wouldn't be fighting to get it all back. I'm sorry, and I wouldn't be fighting to get it all back. I'll tell you this. The only way he's getting the ring now is to pull it off my dead hand. Which might be what happens anyway. So... Kyle realizing the mistake he made, taking responsibility for it, and preparing to do an epic beatdown on Major Force. Page 15, again, we get uh, Kyle being very clever. He's taking Major Force to a place where he doesn't think he can do any more damage, as we see in these three panels of him carrying off of Earth, past the Watchtower and the Moon, and even past Mars here. So, obviously, hopefully he's not going to find Calabac on there, or Perhaps the ruins of any of John Jones's ancestors, hopefully. Then on page 16, we see him finally smashing major force into one of the asteroids between Jupiter and Mars. And I thought they might be ending the book like the J.L.A. Morrison story arc, where General Eiling had inhabited the body of the Shaggy Man, and Batman teleported him onto one of the large asteroids to live out the rest of his existence. And yes, on these pages... Neither Kyle nor Major Force should be able to hear each other in the vacuum of space. Shh. It's going to be okay. Pages 17 and 18. Finally, we get just a good old-fashioned beatdown with Kyle telling Force that he isn't going to focus on what he's lost, but what he has left after finally burning the lantern symbol into Force's chest. Presumably through his sort of Captain Adam-like covering whatever that is pages 19 through 20 here's the only part that i feel is a bit out of character in the book kyle cuts off force's head cauterizes the wound assuring that he'll still be alive and smacks the head off into the universe making it 
harder for anyone to find the entire body of Major Force, and also dooming the villain to an eternity of floating off in space. It's not graphic or gory, but it is a little darker than what I expect from Kyle. However, like it was mentioned before, this is the DiDio era. This is that beginning of the sort of, I don't know, the in my opinion, the darkening of the DC universe, and where these more graphic things were starting to come commonplace. Yes, granted, we're not seeing geysers of blood shooting out, or, you know, again, I hearken back to that issue of Green Lantern where Black Hand blows his brains out on panel, but I would have liked to have maybe seen a different way of Kyle dealing with this, but it works. And another nitpick here on panel one of page 20 forces eyes look a little bit out of whack on one side. How can I describe it? His right eye seems to be looking back at Kyle as Kyle's putting the ring bubble around his head while the left eye looks forward and thinking about that, that could look a little odd, but if you think about it prior in the book, his left eye just got stabbed. So maybe that eye is not working properly. So what could have actually been a bit of wonkiness in the art might actually make some sense if you think about the fact that he just got decapitated and stabbed in the eye mere minutes ago. Pages 21 and 22, this is a this is a really good ending for this run. Panels 2 and 3 on page 21 are a nice way to depict Kyle looking towards the past or towards the future. In panel 2, he's thinking about all the things, him going back to Earth and what's left for him there, and he's looking to the left. And then on the next panel, panel 3, he's looking to the right and asking, you know, or do I go out there and look towards the future? And obviously... He chooses the future, no matter what is out there. It's just a really great ending for this volume of the comic, and a really great ending for that era of the 90s in general. I'm I'm really so glad that I've gotten to read this and share my thoughts with all, or maybe just both of you wonderful listeners, provided that someone other than Scott Davis is still listening. But, but that's it for the story. Let's see if the late or the early 2000s ads have changed any and will improve the book. I don't think they can. And I'm getting a feeling that they can't as the front inside cover is an advertisement for the Urban Pipeline clothing at Kohl's. It's a bunch of hippie, you know, not hippie, hipster sort of clothing, a sort of, I don't know. He looks like he looks like obnoxious Owen Wilson. That doesn't sell anything for me. Then, of course, making you realize this is a comic book, we've got an advertisement for Clarissa Ultra, day one, zits, day two, zit, day three, z. Because nothing says comic book advertising than Clarissa zit cream. Uh, premiering, <laughs> oh, this is lovely. Premiering September 1st, 2004, we get Powerade Flava Sourberry, which is a flavor designed by LeBron James. So, chances are it tastes like douchebag. Then a couple of pages of that, we get the hunky image of 
oh, Peter Welling, or not Peter Welling, Tom Welling, flying along, or I guess not really flying along, leaping along with his shirt open and all bare-chested and hunky, saying it was only a matter of time until Lois. And it's Smallville, I guess, I can't remember what season this is, maybe season five, season four, but it premieres, says it premieres September 22nd on the WB, Tom Welling and Erica Durant's. Listen to Trentus Magnus. He'll tell you more about that. The next ad is for a, guess, a card game for the Batman vs. the Joker two-player starter set for DC Comic Origins booster packs. I don't know whether this is a card game or a collectible set. Not certain, but it's got some creepy images of Batman and the Joker back there. So Batman trading cards. There you go. After that, you've got an advertisement for... Chris Chris Sawyer's Locomotion, which I guess is a sort of Sims-type game where you build cities and, you know, make trains that go between them. I guess the Sims games were kind of stretching for new ideas. Then in the middle book, oh, yay, we get a special advertising section for Mad Magazine, DC, Urban Pipeline, Mountain Dew, Xbox, Clearasol, Voodoo 2004, and Ogeo. It's a bunch of advertisements for Xbox games like Project Gotham, uh, Xbox Music Maker. What is it? Shine Down. I guess it's playing at Voodoo 2004, along with uh, bands like the Beastie Boys, Kid Rock, Green Day, the Pixies, Velvet Revolver, Cypress Hill, Newfound Glory, Paul Van Dyke, and many more. Don't remember the uh, Voodoo Fest. Guess it was kind of overshadowed by, oh, what's his name, Woodstock. Coles, Urban Up, and you could win a Mountain Dew uh, customized vending machine. Interesting. wonder if Dr. Bill signed up for this. I'm certain he probably wanted it. You know, he'd have to turn off the AC in it, though course another advertisement for acne cream with zap zit lovely letting us know that we have zits we get it f-zero gp legend for the game boy advance which is the f-zero game with a bunch of stereotypical anime characters with spiky hair and you know falcons on their helmet and spiky hair yeah after that we get an advertisement for the pc game evil genius which looks like it's by Sierra. It kind of has a look of those old sort of uh, LucasArts games like uh, Full Throttle and Sam and Max. I'm not really certain if it's a like a point-and-click type game. I've never heard of it, but it looks kind of interesting. A few more pages in, we get Second Sight, the psychocyanic thriller from the creators of Time Splitters. Looks like a uh, creepy game. No idea. The DC in Demand promotes uh, some of the new upcoming books, including JLA Classified Number 1, where Grant Morrison comes back to write the JLA. Of course, Green Lantern Rebirth is coming out next month, as well as Adam Strange Number 1. Uh, Andy Diggle and Pascal Ferry come and do that. Catwoman went in Rome and the Teen Titans Legion special. Interesting. Back Inside Cover is another advertisement for the bragging rights thing that we saw in the middle of the book with a uh, a lot more DC-centered stuff. You've got uh, Smallville Magazine, some Mad Magazine stuff, some DVDs for Wonder Woman and Mad TV. 
And then the back outside cover, once again, is for Milk. And it's, what, muscly guy Dave Mira riding his bicycle all shirtless and having his underwear showing. So something for the ladies to end out the book. And that ends out the story. And ends out the show. <sighs> wow. I appreciate you guys sticking through this. I know this has been a longer episode. But I would like to prolong it just a little bit longer because I have a lot of people that I want to thank. This show has been a labor of love for me. It's been really enjoyable to get to do this and to come to you every week and tell you my thoughts and opinions on these comics. But one of the best things that I have to say about doing this is the fact that I've gotten to communicate with so many wonderful people in the podcasting community and get to talk to them about these comics. And I'd like to, if I could, go through some thank yous before I finish up the show. My first guest, and surprisingly enough, my last guest, the Alpha and Omega to the show, has been Thomas DJ. Uh, he started off with Guy Gardner Reborn, and he's been the most frequent guest on the show. He's He's been there to hold my hand through the Bo Smith interview. He's been there to help me through the Ben Rabe run. He's been there to inform me on what's going on in the rest of the DC universe. I don't think I could have enjoyed anyone more than having Thomas DJ on the show. Uh, it's just been a blast getting to know him, and eventually I want to get to meet him sometime. Tom right now is working on getting Better in the Dark back and running. He's working on some books. He's just been published in a new book, and I've heard his Shadow Legion, New Rose to Hell, book two, about the uh, characters from Nocturne should be coming out soon, so definitely go check those things out. After that, I need to give special thanks to Dave Walker, who came in and basically was my cohort whenever Green Lantern and Flash would team up. Uh, Dave did a podcast called Flash Legacies. It's been a while since he put out an episode, but Dave is still sort of present on Facebook and everything. If you want to go check out episodes, back episodes of Flash Legacies, I think it's at flashlegacies.libson.com. Go check those out. He also shows up every once in a while when we do Hoocher Freaks, which I plan on getting back to, Dave. I promise I will. And thank you for being a part of the show. Next up is Andy Leyland. Uh, he appeared on the show uh, sort of tangentially, and even though he probably never listened to it, in a roundabout way for episode 34. Essentially, that was the short issue of Guy Gardner, where it was just basically Guy Gardner fights someone. So... Andy and I had had a discussion prior to doing a record for something for the both of Storling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, and we just eventually got to talk to Green Lantern, and I just threw that conversation in there as sort of a, a bonus material for that show. So, Andy, of course, does the Palace of Glittering Delights over at Two True Freaks. He's probably going to be wrapping up Hey Kids Comics along with Michael. He does the Fantastic Cast with Stephen Lacey, and he also does Listen to the Prophets with myself and Paul Spataro, which you can also find over at Two True Freaks. Then my next guest was Michael Bradley for episode 46, where we covered the crossover with the reign of the Superman, where Hal fought Mongol over the recently destroyed Coast City. Um, Michael is... Michael is wonderful. He's the man who introduced me to the Tangent Comics. He's the man who got me to do what I think is probably one of the premier things that I've done on the internet. As much as I love this show, I think we've really done some amazing work over at Parallel Lines, and that's all on Michael. It's just been a pleasure every moment getting to work with him, 
and I was so happy that he was able to come on the show that time and a couple of times afterwards to talk about comics. Michael, of course, does Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast with me, and he's finally started up Superman and Batman again. It's going to be so fun listening to him talk about those those silver and bronze age comics dealing with team-ups of Batman and Superman, especially when Batman and Superman were friends. And, of course, I can't mention Superman without mentioning essentially the premier person on the internet who knows about Superman, Mr. Michael Bailey. He was kind enough to come on on issues 50 and 51 of the show to talk about the transition from Hal Jordan to Kyle Rayner. He and Thomas DJ led me through the show. Michael Bailey, if you don't know who he is, go slap yourself because he is essentially one of the premier comic book podcasters and his shows like Views from the Long Box, Bailey's Batman Podcast, and From Crisis to Crisis are some of the best shows out there. I was really happy to have Michael come on and talk about Green Lantern at the time, and he's even come on times after that. So thank you again, Michael, for coming on. In some ways, Michael was sort of the inspiration for this show. From Crisis to Crisis sort of didn't really set the groundwork for this. I know a lot of people go back to Tom versus the Flash and Tom versus the JLA, but Michael was the one that I first latched onto, and Michael sort of gave me the idea for this show, so I, I can't thank him enough for being sort of the inspiration. And I won't sing any Peter Cetera, so you're welcome. After that, I want to thank Sally Pascal. She's the host of the blog Green Lantern Butts Forever, which I think you can find at I want to say it's Green Lantern Butts Forever, maybe .blogspot.com. Just do a Google search for Green Lantern Butts Forever. She was wonderful. She came on episode 54, where we talked about the infamous women in refrigerators issue of Green Lantern. Plus, we also covered uh, Guy Gardner Warrior issue, which I think was issue 23. Yeah, it was the issue before, it was the issue at where Guy went into the forest and actually drank the Voldarian water. It might have been issue 24, but she was so insightful in that, and she really gave me some interesting perspective on the way Mitch Bird drew his characters. Her revealing that Mitch Bird draws female characters with tummies, that they actually have stomachs and actually look like they have internal organs was it seems so simple a concept, but it's really mind-blowing. If you look at a lot of artists, a lot of the artists draw women to have actually no waists. And Bird was able to draw women who looked beautiful, but looked like they also had internal organs. And I always loved the fact that Mitch Bird did that, and that Sally was able to point that out to me was was just such a blessing. Go check out Green Lantern Butts Forever. It's a fun blog, and... She loves Guy Gardner, so I can't fault her at all. After that, I've got to thank Jay Ferguson. He stepped in to do an April Fool's episode with me, where I decided to cover, sort of humorously, the US-1 comic. Now you think, what does US-1 have to do with Green Lantern? Well, nothing at all, but it was a sort of April Fool's Day joke that actually spun off into us actually covering the entire 12 issues, and it wasn't awful. It was fun. It was goofy. And I had a lot of fun with Jay 
talking about that on the show. And Jay made it back for a couple of issues in the 100s where we talked about Jenny Lynn Hayden and a creepy Christmas Santa. So I hope Jay's out there. He, I know he said he was working on some blog things. I haven't seen anything, but I catch him every once in a while on Facebook. And thank you, Jay, for being a part of the show. Then, of course, I've got to give thanks outs to my new uh, – well, I guess the new podcaster over at the Two True Freaks website, J. David Weeder, he stopped by on episode 61 where Guy tussled with Superman. Plus, he schooled me on the Legion of Superheroes around the era of between issues 98 and 99, the Future Shocks series. Plus, he told me about Captain Marvel and helped out with my second April Fool's Day episode, the Just 1% of the Guys at Dallas Dynasty podcast. Dave is a wonderful person. I've actually got the opportunity this summer to meet him. He's a really great guy, and you all should be listening to Dave's Daredevil podcast. It is a phenomenal show, and I'm glad that his show is sort of coming on the Tutor Freaks just as I'm leaving because it means that there's going to be an increased amount of quality coming to Tutor Freaks after I leave, which is always good. Then after that, Luke Giaconetti came along for episodes 63 to 65 to talk about the Way of the Warriors storyline that crossed over with Hawkman, the JLA, and Guy Gardner. And he also clued me into the amazing amalgam book Iron Lantern, which I think was one of the most fun reads that didn't specifically deal with Green Lantern on the show. And I have the opportunity to talk with Luke Giaconetti every once in a while over on the Vault shows and it's so it's it makes me so happy that I get the opportunity to talk with him. Luke is one of those podcasters that whenever he comes on a show, he brings his absolute A game. He is whip smart, he is funny, he's got clever quips. He is a podcaster extraordinaire and he elevated the show every time he came on. So, Luke, thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. After that, for episode 71, Tom Panarese came on. And if you don't know who Tom Panarese is, you need to go slap yourselves. Tom Panarese is the host of Pop Culture Affidavit and In Country, a non-podcast, which both can be found on the Two True Freaks network. Surprising, Two True Freaks is just buying out every podcast out there. Not that they're buying them or anyone's getting paid, but you know what I'm saying. But Tom does a great number of shows. Pop Culture Affidavit is one of my favorites. It covers just basically anything in pop culture that you can think about. And the NOM is another great indexing show focusing on a very unique and very different comic from the 1980s dealing with the actual, well, sort of an actual depiction of the Vietnam War. Tom came on to talk about the issue of Heroes Quest where we dealt with Batman and Robin, and he had a lot of fun. I'm sorry he had to subject him to that sort of horrible Guy Gardner issue, but... It was fun talking with them anyway. But then soon after that, and this I think is the highlight of the show, I got the opportunity to speak with the manliest man in comics, Mr. Bo Smith. He was kind enough to let this sad fanboy interview him. And like I said, this was the highlight of the show for me. Uh, and I think you all should go listen to it now. I mean, if if you're listening to this, stop what you're doing, go in the back catalog, find the Bo Smith interview, and listen to this. It's just that good. Some of the things that he had to say in there were so 
engaging some of the concepts that he had for the character of Guy Gardner and his relationship with other characters in the DC universe, in the DC universe, pardon me, some relationships that he was going to have with other characters and some ideas for other stories that he had. They blew my mind at the time. And he was such a giving and such a wonderful person. If anything that I did on the show that I could say that I was truly proud of, that interview would have to be the pinnacle. Bo Smith is a wonderful person, and I'm pretty certain he's not listening to the show, but I can't say enough. Thank you. Hard to follow up Bo Smith, but we do in this wonderful person. Professor Alan Middleton came on for episode 92, which was the first hate crime storyline that dealt with Green Arrow and Green Lantern, Connor Hawk and Kyle Rayner specifically, crossing over and dealing with a villain from Green Lantern's past who might have had the ability to cause people to be racist, I guess. It was a really great story written by Chuck Dixon and Ron Mars. And Professor Allen, from the time on, basically became sort of my go-to Green Arrow guy. Uh, Professor Allen, if you don't know, does the excellent podcast, the Corbin podcast, as well as the Short Box Showcase, which he does with his daughter Emily. And he's also started up a new blog called From Darkness to Light, which deals with sort of religious themes in comic books. It's some really good reads. So far, he's only had a couple of posts on there. He's mostly covering the uh, series Gotham by Midnight. Plus, he's also done a couple of posts about the X-Files. Really, really wonderful person, really clever show, and a really clever concept for the Quarterbin podcast. The idea of picking up random comics for 25 cents and reading them, cheap comics are fun. And in this era where you've got comics running for almost $5, getting one for 25 cents and enjoying it as much, if not more, than the one you paid $5 for, brilliant idea for a show. After that, I had Charlie Niemeyer on. He stopped to uh, talk a little bit of Superboy crossover, the idol worship story, where Kyle Rayner went to Hawaii to meet with the, well, the sort of crew-cut hair Superboy with a leather jacket and the glasses. That was a lot of fun. Charlie, at the time, was doing Superman in the Bronze Age, which obviously was a show that covered Superman issues in the Bronze Age. And unfortunately, Charlie has been out of the podcasting scene for a while. He's very busy with his wife and his child. Um, <laughs> we get updates on his son, Grayson, which, yes, on the nose. I don't know why you didn't name him Kal-El, but <laughs> I guess Nick Cage already took that. But Charlie was a wonderful addition to the podcast. I love talking with him. He's a fun guy, and he's another person that I actually got to meet. He came in Oklahoma City and... Actually, Charlie was the person who sort of rounded out my comic collection by giving me a lot of the uh, final issues of the Green Lantern comics. So I can't thank you enough for that, Charlie, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. After that, Stephen Lacey came on to walk me through the epic tale of DC One Million, as well as the Green Lantern book from that crossover. Stephen Lacey is a huge Grant Morrison fan, and I couldn't have done the DC One Million storyline 
if it weren't for him. He knows so much about that book. He knows so much about Grant Morrison. He's a fan of him, and he actually made me really, really love that story. I so want to go pick up the DC One Million Omnibus so I can read all the stories in there and see what sort of cohesiveness goes through all of that. But Stephen Lacey just really made that show great. Stephen does the fantastic cast right now with my good friend Andrew Leyland. That show has just been a bunch of fun. The fantastic cast is a great show. Stephen and Andy have a great rapport. It's always funny. Getting the guests that they have on there to cover issues of the Fantastic Four has been great. Their retrospective of the Lee Kirby era and now moving more into the Roy Thomas era is going to be interesting. I can't wait to see where they're going with that. Go listen to the Fantastic Cast. And thank you, Stephen Lacey, for coming on the show. After that, I've got the daughter of Professor Allen, Emily Middleton, coming on to talk about Green Lantern number 110, which was another Green Lantern Green Arrow crossover. This time, of course, it dealt with Green Lantern, Jenny Lynn Hayden, and Green Arrow, Connor Hawk. Wasn't that great an issue, but Emily did come on to cover issue 150, which she told me she would break my arm if I didn't allow her on there, and I don't want to incur her wrath. So she was on issue 150, or episode 150 as well, and we covered the epic Judd Winnick episode 150, or issue 150, and a good time was had by all. Emily is a great podcaster. You can hear her on uh, the Shortbox Showcase over at Relatively Geeky as well. And you could even hear back episodes of her show, Uncovering the Bronze Age, which she's stepped away from for right now. But definitely go check out the Wortham episode of that. That was a wonderful show, and I can't tell you how much I appreciated Emily coming onto the show and helping me out with these issues. Then after that, for episode 126, I had kind of a interesting idea. I covered the second Green Lantern 80-page giant, which was a compilation of little short stories involving Green Lantern and other characters in the DC universe, and I was able to wrangle up a slew of guest hosts to talk about that issue. So in order, I would like to thank Rob Kelly, Andrew Leyland, who was on the show for the first time actually talking about a comic, Stephen Lacey, W. Blaine Dowler, Paul Spataro, Dave Walker, J. David Weeder, and Michael Leyland. And yes, there are honestly more guests than stories in that book. That's how giving these folks were. I was able to get actually more people than there were stories in the book to come on the show and talk about it. This is why I love the podcasting community, and I want to thank all of you folks for coming on and sharing your love of this comic with me. If not the love of this comic, at least enduring me talking about it. After this, we get a spate of people from the vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror coming on the show, starting off with Chris Honeywell showing up for episode 128, where we talked about part one of Green Lantern Aliens crossover. Chris, honestly, was the guy who got me into podcasting when, years ago, we did an episode of sort of, I guess, a sort of precursor to the vault show where we compared Let the Right One In and the new movie Let Me In, and how one was great and how the other wasn't so great. He basically gave me my intro into podcasting, so I guess blame or credit him. And if you don't know who Chris Honeywell is, you're obviously not listening to the Two True Freaks Network. He is the co-host of the Two True Freaks Network, along with Scott Gardner and 
He's great. Of course, Luke Jacknetti came on for another episode, but the main person I want to talk about now is my good friend Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero. He came along in episode 130 to talk more about the Green Lantern-Green Arrow crossover, which was wonderful because... (laughs) Hero has a thing about Kyle Rayner and his stupid hair. And I don't fault him for that at all, and I'm glad he came over and enjoyed the show, and it's great getting to talk with him. Chris does, of course, the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror with us. He's also hopefully going to be getting back to doing some movie commentaries with Dave Atterbury. And occasionally you can hear him on Back to the Bins with Sleepwalker Corner, I guess, where he's covering issues of Sleepwalker over there. Chris is just, he's exactly what you think of him. When you hear him on air, that is who he is. He is a wonderful, wonderful person. And again, a person that I've actually had had the pleasure of meeting, and I'm so glad that he was kind enough to come on the show. Now, my next guest, I'm certain you know him. If you listen to podcasts out there, he is almost as ubiquitous as Michael Bailey. In fact, he's one of the people that sort of started out with Michael Bailey over at Views from Longbox. He was his semi-regular co-host. You may know him from the Fire and Water podcast. He's the irredeemable Shag. And Shag came on, like I said, on episode 135 to talk about the Circle of Fire crossover with Firestorm, which he wasn't too keen about. But having him on the show, at least, was a blast. And if you're not listening to any of the shows that Shag does, well, I don't know why you're listening to this, because Shag does a heck of a lot more shows than I do. And Shag is big into the social media. He's a huge Firestorm fan. And, spoilers, I'm actually looking forward to him coming up to Oklahoma City on a business meeting and getting to talk with him sometime soon. So, chances are, here in the future, I will actually get a chance to meet with Shag, which is going to be awesome. After that, Robert Willing came onto the show, and he guest-hosted for episode 139, which featured the Elseworlds Green Lantern 1001 Emerald Knight storyline. Robert's working on getting an Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse podcast going. I haven't heard whether or not at the point of time that he started releasing episodes, but I'm still looking forward to it. Robert was really fun coming on the show. I really enjoyed doing that show, and it was a great Elseworld story. So I hope very soon Robert will be coming up with this show, and I'll be able to... Maybe I'll promote it on one of the Listen to the Prophets episode. We've already got the promo for it. I'm looking forward to it coming out. Then, of course, my good friend Bill Robinson from Walking Dead Wednesday came on to part about the came on to talk about the two part trader story that was part of the Legends of the DC Universe. Bill Robinson again was another person I got to meet down at Star Wars Celebration in Disney. He is a phenomenally funny guy. Yes, sometimes he's got an ADD that might drive you crazy. His singing is phenomenal. He is just a wonderful giving. <laughs> and I'm sorry that he's also the butt of all of Paul Spatar's jokes. Paul and him have a great dynamic over on Back to the Bins. That's where you should listen to him. Avenger Spotlight also spins out of that. He is a funny, funny man. And I was so happy that he actually clued me into doing this. And he was able to come on the show and I was able to talk to him. That was a lot of fun. Then after that, adding an air of legitimacy to the show, Chad Bolkman 
the co-host, along with Mark Marble of the Lantern Cast podcast, actually came on for episode 146, where we talked about a part of the Power of Ion storyline. I know Chad's going to be covering this, if he hasn't already covered this, over on the Lantern Cast, and I'm looking forward to hear what his take on it. I know he really loves it. Chad was a great addition to the show. I really appreciate him bringing me into the Green Lantern community. It was great getting a talk to Chad on his show, The Lantern Cast, about episode 200, where we talked about Green Lantern 200. Chad is a great podcaster, and he's keeping the Emerald Flame alive. I'm, I was just basically having someone from The Lantern Cast, a podcast that I think is the premier Green Lantern podcast out there, come on to my show and actually talk about these comics, like I said, gave me a feeling that I've actually got a bit of legitimacy behind me. Then next up, my thanks have to go to What the Fangirl writer, Hope Mullinax, who came in on episode 155 to write uh, to wrap up the hate crime storyline about Terry Berg being beat up. I know that Hope has a lot of passion for dealing with the issues of the LGBT community, and having her on that show felt right. Plus, she is she's a very clever comics fan, and I like the fact that I've actually had a lot of female comics fans on the show, because a lot of times they're so underrepresented in society, and the female comics fan is a major part of comics fandom. Could I say comics fandom anymore? And I, I don't want to diminish them or anything. And Hope has just been a really fun person to talk to. She's writing right now for What the Fangirl. She has her own show over on Tutor Freaks called uh, Hope of All Trades. Plus, once I get around to it again, we're going to be doing some more episodes of Who True Freaks. And I can't wait to talk to you again, Hope. Thank you again for being on the show. After that, Michael Staley of the Invincible Ironcast Classics Edition came on to set up the Black Circle Green Arrow crossover, which might have been the most enjoyable thing that Ben Rabe has done in the comics. I have to say, I've really been enjoying the Invincible Ironcast. Mike has an interesting way of covering the comics. It's sort of a read-through type show in sort of the way that uh, Tom Harris does over at... Uh, Radio Free Asgard. He does some great voices on the show. He adds a lot of humor into it. Plus, he also ends the show with these sort of parody songs that are just phenomenally funny. If you haven't checked out the Invincible Ironcast Classics Edition, please do. It's well worth your time. Really humorous show. Really fun to listen to. And some great, great parody songs. And finally, the last person, but... Definitely not the least person that I'd like to thank on the show would be his excellently Trentus Magnus, who wrapped up the guest spots in the show for issue 176, where he lauded this last story arc and said it was one of the best ways to say goodbye not only to the Green Lantern comics, but the 90s era of comics. And I probably wouldn't have thought of that at the time, so I can't say how much I appreciate Trentus Magnus being on the show. If you aren't listening to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, you're dead inside. You need to go check out the show, his episodes on Smallville, The Big Book Report, his episodes on whatever comics. He just recently finished up his uh, Extinction Level Event storyline. 
Trentus Magnus always puts out great shows. Definitely go listen to him on Two True Freaks Network. And that's all the guest hosts. I'd also like to thank all the people that wrote into the show. I mean, I'd love to thank all of you, but I've already gone on for like an hour and a half of this show, so I'm going to try and wrap this up. There are way too many to mention, but I can't say how much I appreciated every single email I've got. I mean, I'd be remiss, however, if I didn't give a shout out to the man who's the equivalent of the TM Maple List podcast, Scott Davis. Everyone keep in writing in, Scott, everyone else, I'm going to keep the email site up and I will respond to emails when I get to them. Uh, I won't be reading them on the air, obviously, but I will respond to them and have a conversation with you regardless. Of course, I have to give one of the biggest thank yous out to Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell for allowing me to be on this network. When I started this show, I never could have imagined that I'd be part of one of the greatest community of podcasters ever assembled. And I really find myself fortunate to have met and become actual, factual friends with so many of these wonderful people who are on the Two True Freaks network. And the Two True Freaks, with their get off your ass and make a podcast episode, was one of the motivating factors for me doing this. So essentially, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor with From Christ to Crisis and Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell with Get Off Your Ass and Make a Podcast are the people responsible for you listening to this hour-and-a-half-plus show. So, credit or blame goes to them. But finally, to wrap all this up, my one thank you has to go out to wonderful listeners. I, I never really expected to have like a Hey Kids comic or Back to, Lin Back to the Bins level of downloads, but I really was surprised about how many I consistently had. And I'll never know who all of you are. And I, I really can never thank you enough for taking time out of your schedules to listen to a nitwit like me talk about how great Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner were during the 90s. Uh, yes, even Voldarian morphing weapons out of every portion of his body, Guy Gardner. I really don't have the skills, the talent of many of the people out there on the internet. And the simple fact that so many of you took the time out to even give this show a try completely amazes and thrills me. Honestly, I can't thank you enough. <sighs> Sorry. I do have something, however, to wrap up the show. My good friend, Dr. Bill Robinson sent me a little treat and I think I'm going to put it right here. Hey, Sean. It's Dr. Bill here. Well, you've reached the end of your show, and it's a sad time. But to commemorate it, I have um, gone ahead, and I'm not going to do a song like usual, because I've tried a few times tonight, and it just is not working out. Maybe I'll sing a couple little short sections a cappella, but... It's it's just not just not going. So I'm gonna do a little bit of a reading, like poetry. And I think most of the listeners will uh will recognize this this tune. At least longtime listeners. <clears throat> and a one and a two and a one, two, three. Listen to this podcast. Every time I do, it makes me laugh. How did Guy's hair get so red? And what the hell is on his head? 
And this is where Kyle grew up, after Hal Jordan went and screwed things up. He didn't know if he had the clout, until duality was sent to test him out. Always where they went to school, Kilowog could really be a tool. Geo records say he punched someone twice, I bet he did it half a dozen times. How did Kyle get all those dates? Alex, Donna, and Jenny were really great. Except when Major Force got in, Alex DeWitt ended up in the CRISPR bin. Ooh, 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 oh god, I... Every memory of listening to the GL core, I had the podcast playing when my feet hit the floor. It's hard to say it. Time to say it. Goodbye. Just guys. Every memory of walking out the front door, I found the podcast of a friend that I was looking for. It's hard to say it. Time to say it. Goodbye. Just guys. Remember the old mosaic, John Stewart watched over what was made. Later he couldn't get around. Actually, he was faking himself out. Used to listen to stories of Nort and laugh along with every tale of Chip. I wish I had friends like them. That's okay, at least I have my pets. Alright, it doesn't rhyme. Give me a break. Jenny was a girl Kyle kissed. He went into space and she became a bitch. I know if I was him, I would be thinking maybe she should go in that crisper bin. Oh, oh God, I, I, every memory of listening to the GL core, I had the podcast playing when my feet hit the floor. It's hard to say it, time to say it. Goodbye, just guys. Every memory of walking out the front door, I found the podcast of a friend that I was looking for. It's hard to say it, time to say it. Goodbye, just guys. I miss that show. I miss the guests. You can't erase. You can't replace it. I miss it now. I can't believe it. So hard to stay. Too hard to leave it. If I could relive those days, I know the one thing that would never change. Every memory of listening to the GL core I had the podcast play when my feet hit the floor It's hard to say it, time to say it Goodbye, just guys Every memory of walking out the front door I found the podcast of a friend that I was looking for It's hard to say it, time to say it Goodbye, just guys Listen to this podcast Every time I do it makes me laugh Every time I do it makes me
And I really can't think of a better way to end the show than that. Uh, thank you, Bill, for doing that. That was that was outstanding. Thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening to the show over these past three and a half years. It's been a joy talking about this comic series. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed doing it. This is the end of the show proper. I'm not saying that the show won't come back. There might be minisodes. I've talked with uh, Andrew Leyland and uh, Paul Spataro about possibly doing a few shows. But in general, I've reached the end of the series and the end of the show. And all I can say is thank you once again for downloading and listening. And I'd say come back next time, but thank you for being here for the episodes of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys Podcast and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was Conway Twitty and his song, Goodbye Time. And as J. David Weeder knows, you can't go wrong with Conway Twitty. If you'd like to buy this song, it was off the Conway Twitty Greatest Hits Volume 3 album, which you could buy at Amazon.com. And if you're thinking of buying Conway Twitty through Amazon.com, I'd suggest first you go to TutorFreaks.com. When you go to the website TutorFreaks.com, there's a banner in the upper left-hand corner of the page. Click that and you'll be directed to Amazon.com where you can buy any number of songs from Conway Twitty. Because he needs a lover with a slow hand. Or maybe he is a lover with a slow hand. Regardless, if you're going to buy things through Amazon.com, please make sure first that you use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Bye, Bye. Bye.